Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there, welcome back to the show. This week's episode features Erica Wasser. She's the founder of Glam and Go. And last week's episode, if you missed it, featured Lisa Price. She's the founder of Carol's Daughter. I hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am happy to be sitting next to Erica Wasser. She is the founder of Glam and Go. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you here today. Yeah, no, this is amazing. You just made it home from a... Were you on a plane or a train? Plane. Plane? Plane. Amtrak is avoided at all costs. Um, so, yeah, from Boston. So, a very quick trip. And you are a New Yorker through and through. Yes. Born here, raised here. Not planning on leaving anytime soon. So, um, tell us how you're going to spend the day today. Um, so, I came in this morning to come see you, which I'm really excited about. Um, hopefully, there's some lunch in our future. Um, we have a really exciting meeting coming up. I don't know that I'm allowed to say this. Um, with a celebrity hairstylist who works on a lot of the people that you would instantly recognize for working on a collaboration to start bringing some new services and creative vision into our Glam and Go salons. Um, And then we're doing a shoot for the Real Housewives of New York in our Tribeca salon later. And then hopefully I'm going to see a star is born at IPIC. Oh, what a big day. I know, a big day. (laughs) So um, let's just tell everybody what Glam and Go is. So Glam and Go is a... Um, chain of salons between New York, Miami, LA, soon to be DC. And really the entire premise was prior to starting Glam and Go, I do on air for HGTV and um, Google and different stuff like that. And I was always in these green rooms where I was getting my hair done in 15 minutes, super efficiently with great results. It lasted for days. And then when I was in between shows, I wasn't working. I was really dissatisfied with the quality that I was getting at Dry Bar. And I didn't really want to have the time or the financial commitment of a full service salon. And so I thought, what if I could replicate the green room experience where it's really pared down, like no one's making you coffee, but you're going to have great hair in and out where women needed it most in gyms, hotels, residential towers, corporate buildings, airports. Um, and really bring beauty front and center in a way that women could afford from a time perspective and a budget perspective. So is your blowout less expensive than other similar chains? So our a la carte blowout is not. It's 45 But our membership options is where you can really save. So our gateway drug, we call it, is our Flex membership. <laughs> um, it starts at 79 so right away you're saving. But then it includes two blowouts a month. Everything else you do after that, you receive member pricing. So you'll pay 35 instead of 45 for a signature and 15 instead of 25 for an express. And then our unlimited is two twenty five, which is kind of nuts. So I can go every day. You can come every single day. Mm-hmm. And do you have customers who do that? We have customers who come three to five times a week. Wow. Most of them. <laughs> and how long will that blowout take? So an express blowout takes fifteen minutes. It starts on completely dry hair. So shower, do your errands, do what you need to do. Pop into us ten to fifteen minutes. You'll leave with a blowout finish. It's incredible. Um, and then our signature blowout is about thirty five to forty minutes, and that's a classic wash and blow. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. So I um, I want to start at the beginning here because you've been a stand-up comedian and a media host, and I'm just thinking, why walk away from the limelight? Yeah, duty calls. <laughs> you know, I think this was something that was really 
a pain point for me, right? And so I was really struggling in between um, finishing a gig at HGTV and starting to audition and going to all these meetings. And at that point in my career, I had a, a small team of like a great manager and someone that was sending me out on auditions and agency. Um, and when you're on camera, like working out is just, it's not an option, it's an obligation. And so I found myself really held hostage by my hair because if I wanted to work out in the morning, then I like couldn't figure out how to get back into my day because I really, I can't do my own hair. Um, and I just found myself really missing that quick turnaround. And so I thought, oh God, like other women have to need this too, because I, I had no, you know, no kids, no husband, no nine to five obligations. And like, I couldn't figure out how to make it work. So it's like, how do, how do women do this? Right. You know, I'm thinking about oh, now that you're talking about working out, I totally plan like my hair washing around my workout. Oh, yeah. Like not that I have a ton of hair, like I cut it recently, so it's not really a big deal, but it's just inconvenient to deal with it. And I don't want to wash it every day. So I would totally look at my workout schedule and then figure it out. And sometimes I'll just go with like super greasy hair because I know there's a workout the next day. So I'm not willing to like totally. wash it again. And then totally, totally, totally. Unless totally. it's the summer and then like every day. I'm yeah. Good. Unless New York summer is like a three shower day. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, did you like leave a career where you were like rolling in it from being doing stand up and like walking away from like all the prestige of that world? So it was really weird, the timing of everything. Um, MTV does this showcase every fall where they select like five or six people that they want to work with. They rent out a comedy club. They invite all of the Viacom executives. And basically they're saying, this is the talent that you have to work with for the upcoming season. I was really honored to be one of the six. I had a great set, tons of pilot meetings for January. Same exact time I thought of Glamigo because I was in the mix of everything. And so like the actual like struggle of my time and my presentation sort of hit home. And we launched Glamago at Exhale on Madison Avenue just as a holiday pop-up. So we opened, I think, December 18th and it was just supposed to be for a few weeks. And women went berserk. We're like, we were a very high-tech, modern company. We had a piece of paper that you would have to sign your name on <laughs> before class. And then after, you could sit in our IKEA kitchen cart and little stool that was just set up in the middle of their retail space, get your hair touched up and leave. Women were crossing each other's names out, writing each other's, like writing people's names inside, in between people's names. Vicious? Oh my God, you have no idea. I mean, it's Madison in 76. I'll let you extrapolate from there. Um, but yeah, these women were going crazy. And then four weeks after that, mind you, we're literally a small cart and a stool in not a real space. We got picked up by the New York Times. And there was a little article in the New York Times. And they remember they called me on Tuesday because it ran on a Thursday. And they said, oh, do you have a website? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. We don't have one. Like, it wasn't supposed to be a business. It was just supposed to be a side hobby and someone to do my hair at my gym. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but the New York Times is not running a story on a company without a website. And I don't remember the writer's last name, but her first name was Hillary. And I said, okay, uh, I'll have one for you tomorrow. And I literally, like, called one of my friends that does graphic design. Like, we sat up with GoDaddy all night. And, like, by Wednesday morning, there was glamandgohair.com. Um, and then Good Morning America called from the New York Times and said, can we come film tomorrow and air on Monday? 
I, this is all from just having like a stool. Yes. So, well, let's talk. <laughs> and about it was this. only five hours. We're only open from seven in the morning till two in the afternoon. Inside of Exhale Spa's retail space. Right. So, like, how did you even get Exhale to agree to let you do this? So. Somehow, well, I worked out at Exhale. Like, their bar class, I still swear by. Um, and I somehow found their CEO's email, and I just emailed her. And I was like, hey, here's my idea. Here's what I'd like to do. What do you think? She then said, can you come meet with Julia, who's their COO, um, I think like a week or so later. I came in, I met with Julia, I explained to her what I wanted to do, and she said, okay, but can you be open in 30 days? We'd like it to hit for holiday. I went, yeah, why not? I had no hairstylist, no insurance, no brand, no business. I, I just wanted someone to do my hair. And I remember getting to the lobby floor, and I like texted my dad, and I was like, they said yes. And he's like, I guess you're in business. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really what happened. And then I called my longtime hairstylist, and I was like, hey, I need your help. So... Um were you charging women for this service? We were. Okay, so the piece of paper, <laughs> sign up before your class and ho hope yep. that your turn is ready when you're done with class. And then we had a square thing that went into a cell phone. Right, to charge people. To charge people. Okay, and then how? why did Good Morning America think this was a story? I have no idea. And what was the story? Did they run it? Yeah. Um, and Sarah Haynes, who now is doing so incredibly well that like sometimes we'll see each other in passing. We're like, I remember you when. <laughs> um, she came and she did like a bit of a bar class at Exhale and then came into what was Glam and Go. And the original Glam and Goes were just stools at the existing blow dry counter. And this was enough for the well healed clientele of Exhale? Like they were. Okay no, everybody with that? hated it. Oh. <laughs> Actually, everybody hated it. The New York Times loved it. Good Morning America loved it. People hated it. And so what kind of feedback did you get? Well, so from a stylist perspective, right, we wanted to bring not just hair services, but really top talent and top quality. And, you know, they're artists. And they didn't love working in a locker room. Mm -hmm. Um the clients that weren't using our service found us to be in the way. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that were, it was exposed. It was a little awkward. Like there was no sense of like proprietal space. Um, and so it was really more of for people that are very efficiency focused like myself or like we were a last resort um, of like, oh, everywhere else is booked or I have time. Right. Mm -hmm. And that became pretty clear within the first like six weeks that we were in business, and like I kind of said to myself, like I don't really feel like working my ass off to be someone's last resort. Right, right. That sucks. <laughs> like that's incredible to discover that after only six weeks. I mean, some people spend six years in their business and they're just still sorting, sorting yeah. through the I mean, sites. I grew up on the Upper East Side, and the one thing that love them or hate them, they're vocal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know, like we would get yelled at by people that weren't using the service. We would get kind of like. I really wish that this wasn't here from the people that were in the chair. Um, and then because it really became this like whole feud of like, what side are you on within the Exhale 980 women's group of like, are you pro Glamago or anti Glamago? Oh, no, no, no. This was a thing. So there were <laughs> people spending their time. Yes. Like, so there were like people actually like writing emails to corporate. Like it, it really like became this whole thing. And the one thing that I love so much and I've learned so much about watching Exhale as a business is they really gracefully somehow like 
handled both of these groups Mm -hmm. in a way that made everybody happy while maintaining a really strong partnership with us and never making us feel marginalized. How do they do that? I don't know. I wish that I knew. They have just, I mean, Julia and Margaret are some of the most brilliant operators I've ever seen. Um, And I've just learned so much from watching both of them over the last four or so years. So what happens after realizing after six weeks, okay, this is not going to work? Was it time to get your own space? Is it time to invest so in we, we basically stayed where we were until we could find another space. And then there was this small room behind where you would check in um, that we ultimately moved into and made it our own. Um, and then that really sort of changed our whole model for us because we... We're in like, I don't know, like three to five different gym locker rooms in the city at that point. We did Exhale um, 980, Exhale Central Park South, uh, what is now Equinox, but was Sports Club LA on 61st Street. We were in the Satai Club on Wall Street um, and the Manhattan Club, or the Mercedes House on 11th. And um, we literally would just show up with our tools in a locker room. And like it just, it wasn't, going to ever become a way to like really control an experience Mm -hmm. it's really hard to do when you don't control the environment right and so we sort of took those challenges and rather than like kept on banging down a wall um went back to our partners and said guys listen i know that i told you that i wasn't going to have any sort of capital or resource disruption in my original pitch but like i was wrong um, and I'd say all of our partners really valued that, and the ones that had the space gave it to us, and the ones that didn't said, like, let's try to find it if we can, and if we can't, like, we understand if you can't service here. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the biggest things that I learned is, like, you know, we as a small company have some of the largest hospitality brands as partners, right, from Fairmont and Santa Monica, and we're opening Fairmont, D.C. Like, those are two destination properties for the Fairmont brand. We're in Equinox, we're in Exhale, we're in Lowe's, we're in Gansevoort, we're opening um, in the Dream in Hollywood, which I'm super excited about. Um, But I think, like, the biggest thing that sort of had all of these super high-end partners stay with us through our growing pains, which we most certainly had, like they never had to call us to tell us there was water in the basement, mm-hmm. right? As soon as there was a drip, we'd pick up the phone and be like, hey, this is what's going on. Not entirely sure how we're going to fix it, because sometimes we didn't know. Mm-hmm. But like, we're on it, we see it, we're committed to making it right, we're really sorry. So this is so fascinating because navigating these large corporations is really challenging, like partnerships, especially when it comes to like all, like you actually have real estate issues, right? Where are you putting, where's the power coming from, right? Where's the light coming from? So um, (laughs) it's usually the type of thing that takes like a year or two to like even get the right meeting with the right person, but yet you've done it six times, seven times. Uh, We're actually about to have 16 or 17 locations by the end of the year. And a lot of these are with big partners, or they all of them big? are with big partners. So you don't have any of your like own space. You're we have one, which is in Tribeca, which mm-hmm. was our first flagship. We opened it in July of this past summer, which was super exciting because it was the first. I mean, that was sort of like a dream for us to be able to do. Um, and then we're opening our second storefront, like standalone, um, in Brentwood and California. 
So that this will open amazing. in like a week. So you're, you're like seem pretty humble and low key. And I'm wondering if you actually realize like the magnitude of what you've developed here. I don't know. I'm so deep in it. <laughs> I mean, like on my way here, I'm getting phone calls about like plumbing. So, and nonsense, right? Like I'm going to spend some of my time today going through a storage unit to try to find a, a Glamago t-shirt. So the range of my, of my job is, uh, <laughs> it's something in of itself. Right. So, um, what I see from the outside is you've like, um, climbed up a lot of mountains and some of these mountains seem like they would be, um, not you wouldn't be able to pass over them, but you'd pass over many of them. So congratulations to you, for, you. for doing that. You know, and a lot of people always go like, how, like, how are you doing all this? And I'm like, because we're like too stupid not to try. Like, and I hate to say it, but like, if we actually sat down and thought about like, oh, how would we do this? Or like, we would never have done any of it. Like, we kind of just, like, find ourselves knee-deep, and then we dig ourselves out, and it's better and easier and faster and more efficient and more successful every single time we do it. And are you making money? We are. We're just really excited. That's a big deal. I know. Yeah, it is. Okay, so let's talk about um, this word glam. So your company name is Glam and Go. Yep. And we have to have an honest conversation about this because I, I okay. think our listeners will be thinking this. There's so many other glam brands, glam this, yep. glam that, glam this, glam upside down, mm-hmm. glam backwards. Why glam? This would have been one of those things that had we sat down and thought about starting a company, we probably wouldn't have named it this. <laughs> Because it is a pretty uh, saturated word and space. Um, You know, it's sort of like, I don't know if this is an appropriate analogy, but like if your name was Ashley in the 90s. Right. Right? Like everyone was Ashley in the 90s. But that doesn't mean that like you don't love your name and feel like it's yours and have ownership in it. And for whatever reason, your Ashley is different than the other million and two Ashleys. Um, You know, and so we've sort of just embraced it and said, all right, well, if we're going to be in a competitive space, we just need to be the best. Mm -hmm. Right? And we took that to heart in our branding and the colors that we use and making sure that we're like, we're the only hair brand that, I mean, that I can think of, well, like uses like a deep navy and black and a little bit of millennial pink. But like we really wanted to say like, okay, how do we stay true to who we are as a New York-based brand for just cool women that are trying to get shit done and look great doing it? And what does that mean under the umbrella of glam, which can sort of take a very tacky road? Right. So were there like other names that you considered? Well, no, because we, I'm telling you, this was not, <laughs> like, I, I'm very happy with the way this all ended up, <laughs> but this was not a plan. I mean, if you've asked, and we don't, I shouldn't say this, but we still don't have a business plan, right? Like we have ideas on napkins, but you know, we've sort of just been really receptive to the feedback. We got really lucky that right away we had um, some proof of product market fit, mm-hmm. right? Even if it's just women going crazy on a clipboard. Right. 
and we sort of have taken every challenge as it came. Like when we we raised a small seed round, um, which is the only time we raised uh, institutional capital back in 2015, and they brought it up too, and they were like, well, Glam Squad sort of owns Glam. Right. Um, at least in New York, and at the time they did. Um, and she said, you know, our lead investor said, I think you guys should look at other names before you kind of are fully out of the gate. And we did, and we tried, and we really wanted to rename ourselves as Zhuzh. <laughs> Which then, like, existential crisis was how the hell do you spell it? And how would you spell zhuzh? Okay, so I was a big fan of J-E-U-G-E. I'm going to write this down. J-E-U-G-E. Then there was J-O-O-J, and we loved how that sort of looked from, like, a typography standpoint. Mm -hmm. The, it is in Webster's Dictionary, and the... Actual spelling of Zhuzh is Z H O O S H. Right, so I wouldn't have known Zhuzh because I'm like, I got like a little like Zhuzh. I know, right? I always Zhuzh. So um, I guess I always thought it was like when I would type it in text messages, I always guess I thought it was J U S, which it probably isn't. I think that's Jew, like if you're having like a chicken Jew. Right, like, maybe I can do Zhuzh with a Z, but then it doesn't look right. J J U Z. Yeah, I mean, it just became so challenging and like, like we spent so much time on judge that like by the time we got out of judging our judge we're like fuck it we're staying with Clamic. right so um you talk about investors so here you are um you're doing media work you're on stage as a st- stand up and now you're talking about investors how did you even know how to talk to investors find investors you know, I hate telling the story, too, because we had such a weird, just lucky. I mean, this whole business has been kismet. But, like, do you really believe in luck? or like? Did- oh, I'm most certain. Well, I believe if you put yourself in enough good situations, good things happen. Right, so you made it happen. You know, I had a bunch of friends that were in the venture community, and I said, hey, hey. Um, can I take you out for drinks and show you my deck? And can I take you to dinner? And like, by the way, PowerPoint, um, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I had a lot of really great feedback of like, fix this, fix that, or this is missing. Um, and so I really depended on my network of other awesome people to tell me where I was right and where I was wrong. Um, so that's not, to me, that's not lucky. Like lucky is just standing there and all of a sudden like flowers appear. Yeah. Like you made it happen. Um, and then our lead investor, who is awesome, um, we got introduced through one of my friends that was sort of helping me tweak stuff. Um, and she worked in a venture company that only looked at like cryptocurrency, so it wasn't a fit, but she had this big Rolodex. Um, we met for coffee. She got the idea. She said, great, I'm in. Paid for her coffee and left and wasn't lying. <laughs> That's really what happened. And I just remember sitting there and I was like, oh, okay. And she pledged the full ask that we were asking for um, and said, I'm leaving for vacation in a few weeks. We need to wrap this up in the next 10 days. And I just said, okay, great. And we did. And she still uses the service two or three times a week. I'd say she's probably the best voice of, like, this is wrong in the app. Or, like, I love this stylist. Or this one needs to work on bangs. And, like, it's so great to have, like, another person who's invested in the business in the space from a, just a client perspective. Mm-hmm. 
because um, a lot of our stylists wouldn't know who she was. And so having sort of that like secret shopper of sorts has been super helpful. I think the best job in our business is secret shopper. Um, well, you're more than welcome to come <laughs> secret shop with us anytime you want. <laughs> I think it's so fun. I, um, whenever I walk into a store, I'm like secret shopping, even though if, like in my head, I'm uh, only in my head has someone hired me yeah. as a secret shopper. Yeah. It's so funny because now I walk into like other service businesses and I'm like, that's wrong and easy to fix. That's silly. Like, why are you doing it? Like I'll get really annoyed. And then I give, like, in my head, other businesses such little slack. And then I give ourselves, like, so much room sometimes um, that I think the one... It's almost like nobody knows somebody else's business or somebody else's relationship. So it's always easy to look from the outside and be like, oh, none of this makes sense. Um, But just operating on a day-to-day basis is so difficult. Right. Well, I don't think, like, the customer sees all the things you see. I mean, if... If someone's rude to her, she notices. If she's ignored, she notices. If she's waiting too long, she mm-hmm. notices. But like the peeling chipped paint in the corner on this, or yeah. a, a mirror. It's like a bar mitzvah. Smash. Like nobody knows when you mess up. Just like <laughs> keep making noises. Like you'll get through. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> My son is like in the early stage. He's in fifth grade. He's in the early stages of like all the like bar mitzvah prep and stuff. And the prayer before you. Um, read from the Torah, I'm like, oh my God, it all came back to me. Like, I can just sing it, the whole thing. Like, I Wait, know it. Is, I'm not going to sing it on air. Okay. We can practice afterwards. Okay. But um, it's so weird how it all came back. Because if it's like, the one that I think it is, I can still sing that yeah, one Yeah, you can do it. And then there's a closing one. You can do that one as well, because it's very similar. But anyway, so um, off topic. Okay, let's just talk for the next few minutes um, about the experience of going on stage or like, you know, going in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what is going through your mind at those moments because I want to like hear what the parallels are to like being an entrepreneur if there are any so there's a ton of parallels um you know I think what goes through your head in all three situations is like don't fuck it up (laughs) just don't fuck it up um but I'd say the biggest um the biggest parallels I think between business ownership probably would be more with stand-up than being on camera just because, you know, if you mumble or you say something wrong or you fall down, like, you know, you start over again Mm -hmm. and you don't get those opportunities in real life, right? There's no way that I can call a customer and be like, hi, so remember when that terrible thing happened? We're just going to strike that. (laughs) Like, we're going to start this over. Like, you don't get those opportunities. Um... And so what I loved most about stand-up and similarly in business ownership is you put these ideas together in your head as to what you think makes sense or what you think is going to land or what you think your audience, whether it's your customer or you know someone with a two-drink minimum, wants from you. And then you go out there and you try it. You put it out there to the best of your ability and you get immediate feedback, right? And then you, it's your job then to sort of gauge that feedback and figure out where you go from there. How do you grow? What worked? What didn't work? What needs tweaking? And how do you continue to navigate forward? Because there's only one direction in both. So everything you just said made me think of um, something you mentioned a few minutes ago, which was that... You were, your team was always super proactive with your partners on what, what the pipe was leaking, mm-hmm. right? That was your analogy. And it kind of makes a lot of sense that, like, if you were in a world of stand-up where you're, like, delivering a joke, it, it, it fails, and you move on to the next one, and it works, right? You're in this constant conversation almost mm-hmm. with your audience. Yeah. And maybe that's one of the reasons why you're, you're just naturally in a space to be like, oh, we're going to tell the gym that this isn't working, and we're going to figure it out later. But 
maybe that's just because that's really hard for people actually to admit that something's not right without the resolution for it yet. Um, yeah. But maybe it's just that like kind of relationship with your audience where you you have to just be in the moment. Yeah, I think you have to be honest. Right at the end of the day, like people are all human, and what they're looking more for, at least what we look for in a partner, is one that's always going to be honest with us, right? And sometimes delivering not great news and how you do that, it's so much more telling of who you are as a person and as a business owner and as a partner, right? Because it's very easy to pick up the phone and be like, hey, guess what? Everything's great. Right. Um, but when you speak about these things, it makes me think you're a very com- you're very comfortable and confident in your position of like there's a problem. I've always moved through the world being really lacking confidence and not being comfortable. So I would have been faced with the situation like it would have you know burned in my belly and I would have lost sleep and all that stuff. So you know it's kind of awesome that you're just so at ease with the fact that we all are human and you know there is no perfection and things like that. Yeah, I mean. I borrow this from AA, which I'm not in or have ever been, um, but I love their concept of like progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and that's one that is in our handbook. It's one that we onboard all of our team with, right? Like, I'd say what has allowed our business to grow so quickly is instilling the ability for people to make mistakes and be okay with them and be honest about them. Like I'm so, I'm so beyond proud of, um, Sam Shepard. She's now running all of our New York operations, but she started as a stylist with us a couple of years ago. And she always says to me, she goes, you know, like the one thing that I'd say, like really even changed like my personal life is like when something's not going right, I pick up the phone, I call you, I go, I know this is what you want, but this is not going to happen. And then we figure it out, right? Because I, I have to credit my parents because the the way that I was raised was like the truth we can deal with. That's so nice. That's something that you guys talked about as a yeah. household. Wow. You know, like anytime something happened, like we were, were very much one family unit. So if we got in trouble in school or whatever, it's like the truth we can deal with. Like, so like if you don't tell us what's going on, then we can't best defend or like safeguard you from, and then like once like the, that issue's done, then we can deal with like our personal laundry at home. Right. You know, but like there's no reason, like there's never anyone worth lying for. Okay. I love this. I'm going to like bring that home to my family tonight. Yeah. I think I'm going to put progress, not perfection in our handbook too. It's true. I always tell our team like the truth I can deal with, like call me and tell me that you set the place on fire Mm -hmm. because you know, the less minutes it's burning, the better. Right. 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 I love this. Okay. This is so great. Thank you so much for your wisdom today. Thanks. I don't know that I've ever heard it referred to as wisdom yes. before. Oh my it's awesome. God. Our listeners are going to be so excited. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Erica. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at where brains meet beauty podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.